Hey, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Southside Trap Podcast, the podcast that helps you stay on side with the Chicago Red Stars. It's your girl, Sandra, here today with another episode for you all. It's still preseason, guys. It's the longest one ever, so we're going to talk about some feelings on that. We're going to get into some Chicago Red Stars national team-related news and touch on a bunch of other things, and, uh, you know, you can't ever do anything alone, folks, so I'm here today with my friend, homie, and colleague, Claire Watkins, a.k.a. The Scam Originator. How you doing today, Claire? I'm good. I'm, uh... <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. We're good. As always, we had our, our pep talks off mic leading <laughs> up to this episode, so we have both just decided that our mind spaces are good. That's right. We're in good mind spaces. Being an adult has certain responsibilities That's sometimes, right, right. and it's important to have friends that you can... Just share the load with. That's right. Sometimes. That's right. And we are grateful to have each other in that capacity. And we said, you know what? We're going to talk about some Red Stars news, and that's also going to help us get in a good frame of mind. Um, before we do that, you know, we've had a couple of episodes uh, take place in between some tragic news. And we just wanted to take a moment before we really dove into all of the topics that we have listed for you guys to just sort of acknowledge the very tragic mass shootings that have occurred in this country, in Atlanta, and targeting the Asian community and in uh, Boulder, Colorado. And uh, that's made us very sad and made other people very sad. Um, It's just, uh, there's there's no other ways to articulate how terrible it is whenever something like that makes the news. And it, uh, it weighs heavy every single time because you're always reminded uh, constantly that only in America do headlines like this uh, happen as frequently as they do. And that just adds an, like an extra layer of heaviness to the whole thing on top of all of the complex things that are in there. So um, we just wanted to take a moment to um, acknowledge the lives that were lost in these um, tragic events and uh, to please uh, encourage anyone out there to sign up and seek out any type of local community organizations that are doing the work and try to see what you can do to, to get involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted, I just wanted to bring this up briefly because, um, you know, we, we do, we on this podcast, you know, we, we live, we live here, we live in Chicago, we live amongst people and we talk about this stuff in addition to the soccer stuff. And um, in, in the wake, in the wake of that shooting in Atlanta, there has been a larger conversation about the raise in the, the rise in anti-Asian hate um, especially since the pandemic began, but this has been a part of American culture for a very long time. And one thing, the piece of advice that I saw that really stuck with me is, um, you know, you, you donate, right. You donate to organizations that are doing good work. We, we donated to, um, to AAAJ Chicago. Um, but one thing I think that stuck with me, and this was actually true last year as well, which is that I've been, I felt very, um, I felt like I've been very, I've been educating myself and, and a great way to do that is 
just sign up to, for some newsletters. I, I, the thing that I did last year is by donating to, you know, black lives matter, um, Louisville, uh, and in a couple of different organizations, you get put on their email list, which means that you not only get updates about what they're doing, but they also resource share like a lot. Um, and so if you don't feel like you can give, or you feel a little bit overwhelmed by like social media of it all, um, I really recommend finding, um, people who are doing the work, especially for Asian communities, or even if you want to double back and look for, for, uh, you know, black lives matter or the black community, sign up for some newsletters, get news in your inbox so you can be aware and you can uh, feel empowered to advocate uh, for people who are, who are suffering. So that was just, that's just my piece on that. No, absolutely. Um, if you guys are looking or seeking out uh, avenues and ways to get involved, we did make that donation. We did uh, retweet all that on our, um, on our Twitter account, our social. So take a look at that. Um, if donating isn't something that you can do right now, the AAJ Chicago is doing really great work in terms of putting together um, bystander uh, workshops um, all through the month of April, I believe. Um, so please try to find a time in a day that works for you. Again, this is, um, there's always ways guys. It's, you know, if money's, if money's tight, we get understand and respect that hundred um, percent. But if doing the work, right, we hear, we've heard that verbiage a lot um, over the course of the last year. It's something that you're still also trying to figure out because people don't always know what that, what that means or what that entails when we're saying do the work and do all this stuff. Um, that That's what we mean. So there's, there's, um, it's a great workshop. So please sign up for it if you're able and find time to do it. And um, that's, that's part of, uh, you know, being an ally, right? Um, when we talk about that too, when people want to refer to themselves as such, and uh, that means kind of doing the work and being able to have the appropriate tools. Um, being an ally means you have to have the right tools. You can't just um, slap the title on yourself and say that you love everybody. Love is a huge part of it. Um, advocacy is the much bigger part and most important part. So um, again, we just want to send all our, our love and good energy to all of the communities that are affected by this. And, um, you know, hopefully, they can uh, find some some peace and resolution in the uh, light of all the sadness and the darkness around it. Um, so moving moving forward, trying to transition a little bit, let's talk about some soccer. Speaking of the Asian community, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about soccer, but we wanted to talk about a former Red Star, one of the greatest Red Stars of all time. We wanted to talk about Sam Kerr a little bit because she had a huge game. We wanted to talk about some Champions League soccer, some women's Champions League soccer, and this game that took place, the quarterfinal match against Chelsea and Wolfsburg, and the type of work, the type of game that Sam Kerr had in this quarterfinal, man, it really brought back some memories. There's something about, I don't know, there's something about being able to, you know, have watched Sam Kerr live for two years and seeing what she was doing on the pitch with the Red Stars and watching that kind of unfold in a huge competition like UEFA Champions League quarterfinals and saying like, hell yeah, hell yeah, that's Sam Kerr. That's who she is and that's what she does. It was dope. Yeah, and Chelsea had kind of a weird game. Um, they had a, a very kind of odd attacking formation and, um, you know, Wolfsburg had them, you know, on their heels for a lot of that match, but yeah, yeah I mean, a, it was not an, an easy first half at all. It was pretty no. even. Yeah. And we haven't, we haven't really talked about her a lot since, since she left, but it's, it's been interesting to watch, especially this, this year, this full seat, this uninterrupted season that they've been having so far, um, where you see a lot of, <laughs> you see a lot of people, 
talking about Kerr and, and saying things like, you know, her XG is great, but she's not hitting the back of the net or like, you know, she, why is it that she's so good at this off the ball movement, but she struggles to, to put things away and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, man, nobody <laughs> pays attention to us. Do they? Because we're talking about this for years, we're talking about it for years. Yeah. You know, we're, we just talk about the little, the little Chicago red stars, but, um, but yeah, I think that I would say that for me watching a performance like that and, and sh- you know, the partnership that she's put together with, with Fran Kirby uh, reminds you a little bit of that, that Kerr Nagasato connection from when they were in Chicago and we all knew this was going to happen. And this is, this is also, this is just opportunity to be like, she is who she is. And it's, it's wild to me how these conversations about these kinds of players are so circular based on what other people have been paying attention to, because if you followed the Chicago Red Stars from 2018 to 2019, you knew that, yes, Sam Kerr broke the single season scoring record in 2019. But if you actually watched all of those games, she could have had 25 goals, <laughs> you know, yep. like she the the opportunities that she sometimes just didn't quite finish um, were parts of her game. But it was always we said this a million times in 2019 that if you are creating these chances and you flub it, you know, that's just not that big a deal because you're the one creating the chances. You're going to get those goals. That momentum is going to eventually come through. Um, And so this is just how it's been playing out for Chelsea as well. And I'm really, really happy that she is uh, contributing to that team. I think that people need to put some respect on her name. Um, I'm not sure they ever will. We all know why. Uh, But I think that I I was just happy to see it. I was happy to see it while also not considering it a huge revelation because, you know, we, if, if you know, you know, you know, yes, that's true. And we, it's also trap super. No, it was great watching the game. Uh, I gotta say, uh, my favorite part of that game was not Sam Kerr's offensive movement. She, was the opening goal scorer for that match. It didn't occur to like 55 minutes, right? It, it was in the second half. It, again, it was a really good match. Um, and great combination play, great link up, right? She breaks through. It was a fantastic goal. Um, also really great movement on the second goal between, you know, Kirby Curd and, and Harder as well. Um, fun stuff. But, you know, you had a team like Wolfsburg that was chasing them the entire time. Um even when it was zero zero. So they have, they ended up sneaking a goal back. Right. And uh, off a penalty and uh, there's, they keep pressing for a goal because it's like, that's what, that's what you're doing as the game winds down and you're down. Right. In a champions league first leg, but there's this very specific moment in which Wolfsburg is bringing the pressure on and Sam Kerr, reads this this ball movement so well that she makes this defensive read and she blocks a shot and it goes out and it goes out 
it stops it stops everything it stops the mo it stops momentum excuse me and i i just smiled because i was like yes there were absolutely moments in the sam Kerr era the red stars where she was 100 percent one of the best offensive defenders and it just i it was just great to see i was like that's right who was that who was that game against that she got like dinged in the head off the goal I line i think it was the spirit that sounds right yeah i think it might have been yeah, somebody. It was a game that they but won, and she got that big goose egg. It was like right <laughs> yeah. before halftime or something. Yeah, right. Like, not today, not today. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. It was just like that's. It was great to see that. I was like, of course she did that. I was like, that didn't leave when she went to to, right. to Chelsea. You think exactly. like some some of that mentality, that defensive minded mentality, maybe leaves when you go and uh, explore a little bit in the European game, but it didn't. It was really really dope to see, and they hang, they hung on to the two one lead. So, um, good stuff um hopefully they continue to do well uh champions league is is in its quarterfinal so that's really when it gets in the thick of it and when you really find some uh some really fun competitive games when some of these games uh take place against each other but uh moving on to current red stars there is some uh national team red stars related news that took place so there's going to be uh a, a couple of friendlies taking place in april april 10th and april 13th the united states women's national team will be playing against sweden and france on april 10th and april 13th respectively these games are going to take place in europe fun stuff um it's going to be these are going to be like the last two friendlies before a large chunk of time takes place before a potential like window of games before the Olympics. Yeah, the idea is that they're going to have a tournament of nations before. Yeah, they still the want to squeeze that in yeah, right. <laughs> somehow, some kind of way. And uh, there's going to be a long, long series of weeks before then. Um, so this is really like the combo camp, combo of games that uh, the national team is going to get before really the summer hits. Um, so with the announcement of the national team roster that's heading over to Europe, uh, three Red Stars were named, and it was Julia Erzilisner and Tierna Davidson. Shout out to them. Hope they have a great time in Europe. Um, wasn't too surprised by the selections that were named. I mean, these are three regular Red Stars, right, who have been called in pretty frequently when it comes to, to national team camps A and B really under head coach Vlad Glodinovsky. Um, so no, no real surprises there. I think people were maybe taking a look at that roster to see if players like Mel Pugh or Casey Kruger had maybe made certain impressions to take over there and, and, and they were not named, but some, um, some interesting that we wanted to note, maybe pick at a little bit while we're talking about this is that, with the announcement of the roster, there, there, there immediately came a media availability with head coach Vlakonovsky. So obviously, uh, some of the questions that were asked were about players who were not amongst uh, this roster, and some really, some really peculiar happened with, when he answered this question. He like made a made it a point to point out that there were three specific players who were not in this camp due to injury, and he pointed out one of them was was Tobin Heath, who is still recovering from an ankle injury with uh, Manchester United, and he referenced Casey Kruger and Mallory Pugh, who are also still sort of navigating knocks that they have picked up over the course of the last few weeks and um we wanted to maybe circle in on that a little bit and just sort of talk about our feelings of like how we felt about that um 
just because these are two players who are have been in this you know extended preseason already with the Red Stars for some time, but are also coming out of a recent camp with with the national team. Um, so I don't know. What did you What did you feel like when you when you? Saw yeah, him? I mean, I think the the Mal Pugh shout out makes sense based on what Scott told us last week that she is working her way back, um, but will not be game ready the first week of April, um, which is when the U S would need her. Um, I think it makes total sense to me that the idea is that she would do better to stay in the club environment, um, and get, get those minutes back up, um, in that capacity. Uh, the Casey Kruger thing is interesting to me for a number of reasons. Um, I'm not, I'm not calling anybody a liar, certainly, but, um, you know, Kruger, Kruger was injured. Like if you think, so think about the timeline here, she, was injured at the end of the Challenge Cup last year and throughout the fall series. She plays one game at the end of the fall series. She is designated as injured again after that game. She does not go into camp with the U.S. until she believes, but she was called into she believes because Alana Cook was not released from her club team in France. She played 45 minutes as she believes and was said that she was on a minutes restriction Um, But she looked good in those 45 minutes. So you thought to a certain extent that was a fitness restriction and not an injury restriction. And then now we're here with this next um, series of friendlies and being told that she's hurt again. Um, Alana Cook was on the roster for these friendlies. Um, So I, I, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before we started. Um, I don't think Vlako Andonovsky is playing mind games with anybody. I think that he means what he says. I think, um, there might be news that we don't know about, about Kruger. It could just be that she's not 90 minutes fit and they're only taking 90 minutes fit people. Um, certainly seems like if you have someone like Alana cook already in Europe, that is a vote in her direction. Um, and he's been very noncommittal about what all of this means for his Olympic roster, which I think is fair because, um, with the understanding and, you know, we're probably going to talk about this more as the year goes on with the understanding that, the U S probably has a pool of 25 players that are good enough to play in the Olympics for the U S um, what's happening right now really doesn't matter a ton. It just matters who's fit, who's healthy, a lot of good options. And then there's just going to be the roster philosophy of, do you take six forwards? Do you take five forwards? Do you take six defenders? Um, do you have all positions covered or do you kind of go in with some things covered and then you can move people around if you need to, um, that kind of stuff will probably be what we nitpick once the roster is announced, but in terms of fitness availability, all of that sort of stuff, he's right. This doesn't matter so much. It's not going to matter if they win these games. It's not going to matter if they lose them. It's, I think they'll play better than they did in She Believes because they have been in preseason with their clubs. I think that that will be very useful. Um, but yeah, I think honestly, the thing that I have my eye on the most here, more than Pew and Kruger, is I have no reason to think that Tierna Davidson is not going to the Olympics, but that her her participation there does actually probably come down to that roster philosophy question of how many of each position are you taking? Um, So I hope that she plays, I guess, is my overall thought about all that. No, I'm in agreement with you. I also, no, these, these, you're right. Like these games ultimately 
don't necessarily mean anything or like have any significant bearance on anything, but I mean, you don't um, want them to go and be bad, but, you know, but <laughs> I was going to say like, they're good. They're good teams, man. Like yeah, France, right. yeah, France. Yeah. Hey, good team. Right. You know, Sweden got beef, <laughs> like got beef with Sweden. You know what I mean? So there's like history there. So they're, they're good. They're good European club. they are teams that they're going to be playing against. And uh, yes, I'm in agreement that like, I would want to see if I'm Vlako Andonovsky, I would want to see somebody like Jeremy Davidson against these types of teams. Um, even somebody like Alana Cook. I mean, uh, if we're just looking at like the recent uh, record of games, I loved watching Cook and Davidson hold down a line together as a center back pairing. It was some real like this is this is some back to the future shit. It was dope to see. Uh, and we're talking about two players who have a long history of playing with each other already at such a young age and getting them more games together is only going to probably benefit the national team uh, moving forward. So yes, I would love to see the two of them, not just here, the two of them together, you know, get some significant minutes in these games uh, against these two particular teams. Um, But no, I I don't, I don't think, I think you look at a coach like, like Vlaco and uh, no, you don't think you don't look at him and say, you're a liar, man. No. Uh, No, not at all. Like, so, so hearing that was, was it was refreshing almost right um and uh took it at took it at face value and uh it was it was a good press conference i did i was able to get a question in there myself with him and you know because i was i was curious about that with the timeline of things uh having it you know be these this international window in april and then there's going to be a huge huge chunk of time and i think what we're all assuming as people who kind of cover the league and and by extension of that, the, the team, the national team, um, wondering, we're assuming that the roster is going to be named before summer truly hits. So there's a huge chunk of time yeah. before what's eventually going to be like a tournament of nations that's squeezed in there right before they actually have to head off for Olympic duty. And um, my curiosity was, well, if, this international window in April isn't going to necessarily be the final deciding factor for determining a roster. What's the, what's the plan? What's the vision to continue evaluations for these players? And um, Vlaco was super dope. I mean, again, we, we give him a lot of credit. We talk a lot about how great it is that his background is so heavily uh, within NWSL and it's, and it's in the league culture. And uh that evaluations are already being, you know, are already taking place when it comes to uh, making these type of roster decisions. So all of these teams, he basically expressed that all of these teams are in preseason at the moment, that a number of these teams have already had some friendlies and that for him and his coaching staff together, they're already watching some of these games. They're already watching some of these preseason games and, the games that are going to be televised or streamed for the challenge cup, there are intentions to continue watching those games as well. And he mentioned that when the regular season starts, which is on May 15th, he said, I, we will absolutely be watching the regular season NWSL games. So it does make me wonder, um, you know, what the evaluation is going to, how that is the club play is going to impact any type of decisions on that potential Olympic roster, uh, if any. So, um, so we'll see. So I, I think we're, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting moment to be in when it comes to like covering the league 
and then by extension covering the national team because even looking at this roster alone like there's 17 players that are repping nwsl clubs sure so it's like no longer is that i feel like we're moving away from that narrative of like that club play doesn't necessarily uh, matter like just the fact that you've like being a player who has been in the U.S. pool for X amount of years was kind of like it, which is kind of the staple. Well, I also think, and this is something that we did talk about a little bit in 2019, um, but I, I believe this to be true. Like 100% is that we complain a lot. People complain a lot about the NWSL happening concurrently with international tournaments. They're the only major league in the world that does that. Um, in the in they play in the in the American summer and they play at the same time as these tournaments and people say that's bad. You know, the players get worn out. We don't have the U.S. players coming in, coming out, all of that sort of stuff. The league has lost players. I mean, you talk about the Australians because of that schedule. Um, however, I think that that is a huge asset to the U.S. when they play in these tournaments. I just think that. You see the way the U.S. plays against the rest of the world when the U.S. is in preseason and the rest of the world is in in the middle of season. I think that you see the same thing at the World Cup and the Olympics. I think that when they are in mid-season with their club teams playing against all these other teams that are in preseason um, or in off-season, it's an advantage. So um, my whole point being that the league play is really important because it's one of the biggest advantages that the U.S. has, not just because the NWSL is a great league, but just because of timing. Um, so you want players who are in form. Um, but yeah, I, I'm definitely, you know, the tone that I'm taking with it is just the U S I really, you know, controversial, whatever. I just really think that the U S the U S has what's 18, what's 18 times 30 times two. <laughs> Has has 36. 36. They, they could feel they could feel two teams, is what I'm saying. And um uh, math. Uh, math. <laughs> it's Friday. I was told there would um, be math on this podcast. Right. Uh they they have so many good players. No bad, I think they have no bad options. And I think that it's a very, very, very difficult roster to make. Um yeah. so I'm trying 100%. to I'm trying to let that let that kind of play out as it plays out. But yeah, it'll be fun to watch, it'll be fun to cover. We'll be here. Paying attention to it, uh, obviously, with the news of the roster dropping, we also get a little bit of a clearer picture on Challenge Cup. And you're like, probably like, Sandra, what are you talking about a clearer cup, a uh, clearer picture on the Challenge Cup? We already got the schedule. We know when the games are going to be. Uh, well, we've been talking a lot about how whenever this roster dropped officially, we can actually circle some names and point at some figures who won't be available for Challenge Cup games. So now we know for sure that. Julie Ertz, Alyssa Nair, and Tierney Davidson are not going to be, uh, you know, a factor when it comes to at least what we're assuming those first two games. And not only that, we're starting to hear coaches actually kind of acknowledge that as well, sitting a little bit on a media call with James Clarkson. And he said as much himself in terms of preparing for the Challenge Cup. And that's going to come into play a lot because Houston and Chicago both play each other to kick off the challenge cup on uh, April the 9th. So there's going to be several players missing on, uh, on both sides of the ball there. And uh, it's not just us players. You know, there are Canadian uh, players that are getting called in who are going to be participating in international windows. Um, you know, England with, with somebody like Rachel Daly. So we not know for, for sure 
uh, for the Red Stars that these that these three players are, are going to be unavailable for at least a couple games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Friend of the podcast, Haley, Haley Snyder asked on, on that call what Houston was planning on doing defensively. And, and Clarkson, you know, he didn't give away too much stuff, but he did mention the possibility of Houston playing in a three back, which I think is very interesting because they don't necessarily have a like for like player to, to um, replace Alicia Chapman, who would theoretically be, be playing with Canada, um, which I thought was very interesting because uh, that would definitely be different than what Houston was doing at the challenge cup. And Houston will be doing something different than what they were doing at the challenge cup, because what they were doing at the challenge cup was very contingent on the work of Rachel Daly, Christy Mewis, and Michelle Prince, none of whom will be available for them in the challenge cup opener. So, um, but you, you know, you go back to what Scott was saying last week about how um just to kind of parse out some, some the picture a little bit from what he was saying that Chicago was, he, he listed three defenders when he was talking about their core. I'm not sure Chicago wasn't also looking at a three back a little bit. Um, there's a bit lore, long lost lore that Chicago looked at, looked at a three back formation um, before Tierna Davidson broke her foot before the 2019 championship. That's something that they've considered in the past. But um, I think that, without Davidson there or Ertz, you might see something a little bit more traditional from Chicago, tr- modern traditional, the four, three, three. Um, I think you might see something a little bit more like that. I think that what we might see when they have everybody back is more like a four, four, two. Um, because I think you're going to have, you know, what he was describing in terms of the central defense kind of running stuff and, and letting someone like Ertz run above it. That sounds to me like they're going to have Polaprico and Ertz both in that midfield at the same time. And it's going to be box to box. And I think that that uh, is going to be formidable when it happens, but it's not going to be for those first two games. So I, my anticipation is that maybe you see something like a four, four, two for Chicago in that Houston game. Um, but you might see something a little bit closer to what we actually saw in the challenge cup when Ertz was back on defense and Davidson wasn't available. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of be a piecing it things be, together, you know? Yeah. I think it might be a little, <laughs> it's going to have, a, every, I think everyone's mentally preparing for these first chunk of challenge cup games to have a real preseason vibe, but I don't know. Maybe this first one can be real, real wild, open and free. We'll see. We'll see. Well, especially if Kruger is hurt like that. That's the other thing, too, is if if Kruger isn't game fit, that changes things a little bit for Chicago as well. Because we saw we did see her. We did see photos of her playing in some of the preseason games. But, you know, Kayla Sharples was getting some serious time in preseason Um, with with Davidson gone. You imagine it might be her and Sarah Gordon. We don't know exactly how Zoe Morris fits into this. You got Aaron Wright on the right side. I just, I, uh, there's options. I'm, I'm just excited to see some games because I'm like, I yeah. don't know where the players go yet. <laughs> We're just analyzing photos. I'm just like listing, I'm just like listing names of players who play for the Chicago yeah. Red Star. We I'm know like, the well, name. You know, there is Zoe Goralski, but there's also Aaron Ryan and there's Deanna Davidson and there's Sarah Gordon. And, you know, it's like, well, yeah. yeah will they, they play, play up top or will they play on the back line? We don't yeah. know. They're all, they're, all, they're all versatile. Um, 
yeah, it's uh, a <laughs> the preseason is weighing on everybody. I think I think players are ready to get out there and get some games under their belt, and those of us in the media are ready to talk about them. Uh, so it's it's gonna it's gonna be dope. It's gonna be interesting. It was good to see the U.S. roster drop. It's always nice to have confirmation, right? So it was like circle, circle. Here's point point yeah, one. These people right are gonna be pen. for sure. Yeah, and yeah. just uh, being able to sort of plug those things into place already. Um, but we'll ha- be back uh, next week, obviously with a with a preview, a more centered preview on a, on that dash game because we're gonna start getting back into into that routine, folks. So so look out for that. Uh, but to close out this episode, we did want to make mention of some other uh, some more national team news that kind of kind of touched base. And this was just like something really cool that we wanted to talk about, and we wanted to give ourselves the time in this space uh, to give our our thoughts and feelings about it. But Mitch Purse and Megan Rapino uh, were invited to the White House on equal pay day and to uh, bring about some general awareness about the importance of equal pay. And uh, they were host uh, hosting an event on that day specifically with uh, with the Bidens at the White House. And it was really dope to see uh, the U.S. Women's National Team get invited to the White House again. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it was pretty clear from all of our responses that, yeah, it, sure, you know, Megan Rapino getting invited to, to meet Joe Biden makes a lot of sense. I think she helped campaign for him, actually. She was a big... Um, in the general, um, she was a big uh, Biden advocate. Um, I think obviously they're one of the most high profile, quote unquote, equal pay uh, advocates at the moment. Um, but we were all just stoked to see Midge Purse, honestly. We were just really yeah. excited that that uh, Midge, that Margaret, uh, Margaret, Margaret Purse, Purse got invited to the White House as well. Um it was cool to find out that she was invited, you know, not only obviously as a prominent member of the NWSL, but primarily as someone who has taken on the responsibility of being part of the group that is going to be negotiating the new collective bargaining agreement for the United States that expires at the end of 2021. The one that they negotiated for people who who don't remember, cause it was a while ago now, um, their CBA actually expired in early 2016 they were out of contract for about a full year. They went through the 2016 Olympics out of contract um, with the U.S. because they could not come to an agreement. They do finally come to an agreement. And that, the conversation going in, in 2016 was serious ones of do they strike like this? It was it was contentious even back then. They do finally uh, ratify a CBA in 2017, which expires at the end of 2021. Um, I have no inside information. I would anticipate some radical changes to the CBA at the end of this year, Um, moving even possibly away from the allocation structure, from the salary structure. um, This could be groundbreaking. Uh, And Midge Purse is leading the way. And I think that that's very exciting. Um, I will say that I, I am not necessarily super comfortable raw rawing a presidential any presidential administration um using sports to do that using a black woman to do that um i said something along the lines of you know biden needs someone like midge purse more than midge purse needs biden um but i think you can do that while also (laughs) acknowledging that this was very cool and well deserved so i think that that's kind of where i'm at with it um and then you know sandra sandra will will i'm sure echo this as well that um, the cool, a number of things that actually happened during that day, one of which was that Megan Rapino actually testified in front of 
Congress. I I have to admit, I I was kind of it was it was a demo, it was a Democratic hearing. Okay, it was like a committee, con- congressional yeah. committee or something. Um, and she got grilled a little bit by some Republicans, especially pushing this transphobic, anti-trans rhetoric. You see this across the entire country. You have states who are trying to ratify these bogus discriminatory laws against kids who want to play sports. And um, Megan Rapinoe wasn't having it. She did not. I think the thing that I liked the most is she didn't even engage. She just kept repeating. No one should be discriminated against for their gender. Um, And I support the trans community. And she even obviously shouted out the fact that she plays on a club team with someone who identifies as trans and, um, I think basically what she said is that nothing exploded. The sky didn't fall, um, which is true. And I think that this is, again, I'm happy that she didn't engage because you can't engage. It's a bad faith argument. um, That's purely just intended to hurt people. Uh, So I think that there were a lot of positives. I think that they represented themselves very well. I think it was great for them to get the opportunity. Um, I don't know how much faith I have in (laughs) any presidential administration to actually evoke the sort of change that is necessary. But um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a very net net positive thing to see. No, I'm, yeah. I'm in a hundred percent agreeing with you. I thought it was quite the day, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a huge day for, um, for the team. Cause they, they technically they, they joined virtually. They were on a virtual zoom uh, during the, the event that took place with, with, purse and, and rapino and president and dr joe biden um and that's a long day for somebody like megan rapino to get in front of a, a house oversight committee to talk about to, to talk about equal pay but really like field questions <laughs> like she was fielding yeah, questions yeah, right you it know was, what i mean like, like she was a weird like press release kind yeah of. she was like fielding questions and yeah. like defending the lawsuits right. that that the United States women's national team is, is currently right. It was like in. equal pay day, but it was a lot of people being like, what if it wasn't? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that real? It wasn't so much a celebration of equal pay as it was like, I need you to like, can we talk for, about like, this? And yeah. like, tell me like, let's yeah, just to play devil's it. advocate for a second. Yeah. There was some, there was some, uh, that's bait. <laughs> yeah. There was some, there was some, that's bait moments, but, uh, it was, it was, I mean, Megan Rapinoe is, uh, she threw herself into the spotlight. She mm-hmm. really did. She's gone on record many times admitting as such that when she kind of embarked on this platform and, and getting in front and starting, um, she taking a knee in solidarity with, with Colin Kaepernick that she didn't really have a lot of conversations with people around her about it, that, uh, it was just something that she felt in her gut that she wanted to start doing and she did it. And then all of a sudden she got thrown into it and she's kind of been in that light ever since. And, uh, to, to her, her credit, um, it's led to moments like this that we saw with, with uh, the congressional hearing and or the committee hearing. And, um, yeah, there were, there were some moments that were like, there's some real baity things here, but, uh, she didn't necessarily bite, um, hard and, uh, was able to, you know, I think, hold her hold her own and answer coherently and, and really well and uh i don't think we're in any disagreement with the way that what she she answered and um i'm glad that um some of the stuff got brought up the way that it did because people need to hear that it's fine <laughs> uh she brought up the, you know, the discrepancies that are taking place right now with the NCAA basketball tournaments, you know, between the men's and women's side. She alluded to that a lot to, to sort of give 
extra more external like examples outside of you know the u.s women's lawsuit with u.s soccer in terms of you know discriminating you know when it comes to, to gender and um people who are so fixated on trans people and trans athletes for whatever reason this obsession this gross unnecessary obsession that they have with trans athletes uh performing uh for whatever reason and and megan rapino i think did did quite well to so go ahead and answer that as well. I think you I think you can't answer any better than I play professional sports with a trans teammate and we compete and it's fine. And uh I think that was that was great and it needed to be said and it needed to be heard and uh I don't know if you have much of a counter argument um against that if you're some one of these weird obsessive people who is asking a professional teammate if there's a problem and that teammate says no. <laughs> so uh, it was important that it was it was said in that moment. And um, it needs to, unfortunately, it needs to continue. Because as long as this um, outrageous obsession with trans Hasley continues, uh, people like Megan Rapinoe and other people who play sports with trans are going to have to be those allies and say, this is a thing that has happened and has been happening and nobody is spontaneously combusting and it is fine. So shout out to that. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I feel a responsibility and I think that we all have a responsibility and I think that people have done a, a good, really pretty good job so far of, you know, when, when this somehow, you know, it's, it's wild. It's wild to me. And I don't want to like go too far down the rabbit hole, but even just people in my life, bringing it up more, this idea of like trans athletes. And I was just like, where is this coming from? Yeah. Like what? And, and it's, it is something that they have latched that uh, the right wing has latched onto um, and they've made it a new battleground um, in, in a cultural war. And um, it sucks because people get hurt and people get opportunities taken away from them. And it's not coming from a good place. It's not coming from a place of equality. It's not coming out of a concern for women's sports at all. Um, and, but I just think that, uh, the more opportunities that everybody who's already in this space to categorically disavow, um, all of that stuff is, is important. And I thought, yeah, I thought Rapino did. I thought Rapino did a great job. I also thought Rapino did a great job of, I mean, obviously everything was planned out. Midge spoke first at the event. Um, she did the opening statement. Dr. Jill Biden spoke directly to Midge, which I thought was very cool. Um, yeah. But I also thought that Megan Rapinoe, who has had more experience in these sorts of situations, did a very good job of being there with with her her U.S. Women's National Team teammate and making sure that that was all on equal footing as well. Yeah, there were like, it was really just like introductory remarks. So you had like Mitch Purse introduce Dr. Jill Biden, and then Megan Rapinoe go ahead and introduce. Um, President Joe Biden during during this event, and they had great they had great statements, opening statements. I, I you know I know everyone has a team. Everyone has a, every every individual has a team around them, right? But I want to believe that uh, Megan Rapino and Mitch Purse are are smart, intelligent women who were able to to craft and draft um, you know their own remarks, and I loved it. I, I love that Mitch Purse, you know, said the strength of an unequal pay rests on the notion of an equal value. It's an issue of equity, and she 
further went on to say in her comments that I have watched and joined the League of Women who are remarkable at their craft. And together we've asked for the same grace that was extended to men in the formative years of their leagues to um, to invest. You would never expect a flower to bloom without water, but women in sport who have been denied water, sunlight, and soil are somehow expect to blossom. Invest in women, and let's talk again when you see the return. So I, I loved it. It was great energy. Um, shout out to Dr. Joe Biden, who informed us all <laughs> that like Midge Purse was part of, uh, you know, the CBA negation, negotiations moving forward. I think that was a little bit of news for some of us who weren't aware of that at that moment. Um, but it was just a really strong and powerful moment to just have um, Purse alongside Megan Rapinoe in, in that aspect. Um, I... I think it's very important that somebody like Mitch Purse is, is someone that the league and the national team continues to um, invest in. And I don't just mean like, you know, in terms of soccer development, you know, we're talking about raising the profile of the teams that she's on, the league that she's a part of, um, the emotional, mental, and spiritual support that they can offer. Um, to a player in person like that. We're coming off of a year uh, where a lot of white women in these spaces were tasked for the very first time and having to confront something like racism. Uh, I don't know who needs to hear this, but a lot of your faves learned about racism for the very first time in 2020. And we're not too far removed from that. So there's still gonna be a lot of work and conversations that need to <laughs> continue and be done. And um, days like equal payday, right, are a lot of opportunities and a lot of moments for that people are going to take to talk about to talk about those things. Like we we heard Megan Rapinoe having to field questions and express her solidarity with trans commute with the trans community and trans athletes on equal payday. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's like this this weird conception where it's like we're all in this together, so like we have to talk about all these things at once. And and to a larger point, yes, marginalized peoples, right want to express solidarity to each other and support for one another. So hearing a lot of the conversation around equal payday is always important. I'm not gonna sit here and say that it's not, but there's a lot of conversation sometimes within these spaces that still centers white women and we still need to continue to do a better job of undoing that. So whenever we hear about things like International Women's Day or Equal Pay Day or Women in Sports Days. Yes, by a larger scale, there's the concept of like women all in it together, right? But unfortunately, within that, when these conversations happen, it's like, can you believe that women only make X amount of black compared to men? Well, let me tell you about black women and let me tell you about Latinas. Well, why are you, why are you not leading with these points? lead with the black women, lead with the Latinas that you're trying to use to hammer home these points, focus on that and try to make sure that when you're uplifting everyone, like everyone wants to keep saying that you really are focusing on these things. There's a lot of verbiage that gets thrown around on days like this, um, talking a lot about like the rising tide lifts all boats. And I, I make this point a lot where I'm like, who has a boat? how did you get that boat <laughs> and you have life jackets on the boat that's insane because i know people who do not have boats 
nor do they have life jackets and it's like a struggle. So it's like having to like bring it, bring it back a little bit, not to bring the movement back, but to bring it level. Because if you really do want to all get there together, you really got to see the inequalities within the spaces that you're, that we're talking about. So um, I loved it. More Mitch Purse at events like these and uh, more effort to try to make sure we're uh, uplifting her profile and players like her. Yeah, um, totally agree. Uh, the two two things that popped into my head uh, while you were talking was how funny is it that um, we have a person who <laughs> has reached like the ultimate pinnacle of her sport and we're all like, she's going to do great things someday. <laughs> like, <laughs> like she's already doing it, but we're just like, oh, just wait to see what happens next. Just, you have no idea. Yeah. Um, um, energy, y'all. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and then the one other thing that I was thinking about, and I only realized this, I think, like after the day after, um, which is the way that the union structure works, the association structure works for these women um, is you can you can only be involved in the NWSL PA if you are not involved in the U.S. Women's National Team PA. Those two are separate organizations that, um, you know, they, they uh, do their best to help each other as best they can. But if you. Like this actually happened with McCall Zerboni. She she went from being a leader for the NWSLPA to moving on once she became part of the U.S. player pool, working with the U.S. Women's National Team PA, and you cannot do both. And the thought that I had was like, damn, like if if Mitch Purse is now um, entrenched in this U.S. Women's National Team PA conversation as well, she should be. How important is it that the Black Women's Player Collective exists? Because you talk about you talk about structures that support systemic racism. The way that structure works is basically if you make it to that next level, that upper echelon, you do not have formal avenues to advocate for your club teammates. They're two separate things. And so purse, you know, with a number of other players founding the Black Women's Player Collective is so important because that is her formal structure with what to advocate for her teammates and, and, and her, her friends and her fellow players who have not reached that next level. And so it, that's just what happens when you have someone who is a visionary in that way, who can circumvent these structures that are set up to divide people and to not allow people to organize and work together and advocate for change. Um, this is not a dig on, on the U S women's national team PA or the NWSL PA. It's just how it is. Um, but yeah, so that was another thought that I had was like, wow, like it's so important. It's it was important from the day one, but to allow someone like purse to still be able to be a guiding hand in the league is, is huge. Um, and, and just all 100% props to her for putting that together for herself. Um, yeah. 2021 is going to be dope. Y'all we That's always right. keep ending. We always keep ending these, uh, these episodes with a little silver linings and, uh, a little bit of hope. So we're going to keep that good energy going. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Uh, obviously with the challenge cup coming closer, we're going to get back into the swing of red star stuff, uh, previews and recaps and such. So get ready y'all. It's coming. Uh, just want to let you know, if you like what you hear, you can continue your support of Southside trap primarily through our patron. That's the best way to do it. Uh, go check it out. Southside trap patron, uh, find a tier that works for you. 
they started at two dollars all the way to 25. Uh, we understand that uh, things are, you know, tough right now. There's still an ongoing pandemic. Uh, if things are challenging, please know that there are a multitude of ways for you to continue your support. And you can also do that by following us on all social media channels like Twitter, Instagram, on Southside Trap Pod with one letter P. You can go ahead and find us on all streaming services like Anchor, Spotify, iTunes. That stuff also helps us out tremendously whenever we're trying to produce Chicago Red Stars content for you all. So find us, give us a like, subscribe, rate us, review. And uh, we hope you will join us next week. Continue to make smart choices. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands. Continue your support for Black players and Black life. And uh, we'll be back with you soon.